welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. I'm going to be honest with you. You might be in danger, and it might be partially my fault, and I'm only half joking. (laughs) And I'll tell you why in a moment. We've been in this series called How Do I Grow? And even if you're new, you're new to church or you're new here or first time in a long time, even as explain what that means and why we might be in danger, you might be like, yeah, yeah, I get that. We've been talking about what it means for us to grow. And even though you may not have asked that specific question of yourself over the last year or a couple years, you may have said things like, how do I get better at this? Or why do I keep getting stuck in this? Or how do I be more like that person? Or when can I be free from this? Or how do I see myself mature or to become someone who is a gift or a blessing to other people? They're all getting at this question of growth. And we don't just mean like when we're little, we want to get taller and stronger, but um, growth in every area of our life. And we said faith, growing in our faith is actually a holistic description of growing in mind, body, spirit, relationships, relationship with God, relationship with others. The metaphor we've used, because the question could be, oh, is it growth like a stock market, growth like a building or whatever, is actually the metaphor that the biblical authors use the most, which is that of a tree. Is that we are people that in a sense are connected to a life-giving source that is God, and we grow up, meant to grow up like a tree to become a life-giving source. And we've been talking about, hey, like, how do we actually grow? How do we do this? And over the last few weeks, we've looked at Um, different, what we call faith catalysts, um, things that allow faith to grow in our lives. And we've looked at things like celebrating weekly, um, grouping together, serving side by side, personal practices that help us to grow, and what it means to live on mission, and that as we live for a purpose and with a purpose, we are able to grow. But the great danger in all of that um, is, in fact, if I said to you, Ah, you know what? Series is over today. Like, now you got it. Go do it. We would actually be in potentially some great danger. And here's why. Because if we just engage with these things as as something, oh, we're going to grow at and we're going to get better at, they could possibly produce some dangerous results. And by that, I mean pride, hypocrisy, or guilt and shame. That it's possible in pursuing growth, that the results could be something less than stellar, something actually dangerous, pride, hypocrisy, guilt, and shame. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's possible that as we grow and we say, we could get to this point, we're saying, look, look at how I've grown. Look at what I've done. I've been a, I celebrate weekly. I'm a part. I go to church regularly. I give. I go to youth group. Um, I do all these things. Look at me. Look at how I have improved myself. I used to be like this, but now I'm better. And even subtly, that can begin to shift the focus and the emphasis on ourselves. Or perhaps even worse, we start to like look down on other people and think, well, how come they're not growing? Or what's wrong with them? Or why doesn't he just do this? Or how come she gets, keep getting stuck in this? What's the matter with them? Why aren't they growing? Look at me. I was able to do it, right? That, that growth, pursuing growth can sometimes actually lead to pride. Or maybe even worse than pride, hypocrisy. That it's possible for 
someone to be doing all of the things that look like healthy growth, or if we use the analogy, like the trunk looks strong and the leaves are there and there's fruit, but the inside is rotting. It's possible that you can go to church regularly, you can give, you can be doing many things for other people, acts of service, that you could be someone who's reading your Bible or praying or whatever those spiritual practices are. And yet on the inside, there's anger, there's frustration, there's um, chaos in relationships and the way that you treat others and view others or addictions or private things that you don't want to let anybody know, which is to say that the, the person we, that who we are on the outside and how we act in our public life um, and who we are on the inside and who we really are, that there's a gap growing between them. And into that gap is hypocrisy, where who we appear to be or what we're doing on the outside is different than what's actually happening on the inside. And that can also happen as we try to pursue growth or guilt and shame. And, and guilt is like feeling bad about what we've done or bad about what we haven't done. Shame is when we begin to believe that we are bad at who we are, right? And that often happens when we're trying to go when we think when we experience not success, which can lead to pride or hypocrisy, but failure. Oh, I can't do this. Why can't I do this? How come I'm not like that person? And they seem to have it together. And what's wrong with me? And I tried and I failed and I can't do any of this. And we can begin to feel guilt about what we aren't doing or how we aren't growing or the things we said we would do and keep giving up on or other people, sadly, right? Pastors, priests, churches, other people in our lives can heap guilt on us or use guilt and shame to motivate us. And it actually drives us down and destroys us on the inside. And look, friends, if we're honest, we see this in many ways in all kinds. And this seems to be what religion in general, the Christian religion in general, also produces in people. It's so easy for those things to produce pride and hypocrisy and guilt and shame. And so we would be in trouble if we just stopped here and said, yep, go do this. This is how you're going to grow. How do we know we're not going to end up with these dangerous results? And it seems to be that, that often happens in places of religion or faith. Which is why Jesus, in his final conversation with his closest friends, before he was going to die, the night before he died, when he knew he was going to die, said to them, if you're going to do this, if you're going to grow, if you're going to follow me, you are going to need help. Uh, in fact, more specifically, you are going to need a helper. Listen to what he said. I didn't tell you this earlier because I was with you every day, but now I am on my way to the one who sent me. Not one of you has asked, where are you going? Instead, the longer I've talked, the sadder you've become. So let me say it again, this truth. It's better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come, but if I go, I'll send him to you. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. But when the friend comes, the spirit of the truth, he will take you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. He won't draw attention to himself, but will make sense out of what is about to happen. And indeed, out of all that I have done and said, he will honor me. He will take from me and deliver it to you. Everything the Father has is also mine. That is why I've said, he takes from me and delivers to you. In this conversation that Jesus is having with his closest friends, as I said, the night before he died, 
it's his answer. He's actually giving them an answer or a solution to how they're going to grow without becoming proud or hypocritical or falling into guilt and shame. It was actually his way forward for them. And yet, even as the text says, it was a confusing conversation to them. And here's why. Because just earlier in the conversation, and you can find this in the previous chapter of, of John's biography here, his account of the conversation, Jesus says to them, apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, you can't do this alone. And they were like, yeah, no, that makes sense. But then he's saying, I'm leaving. <laughs> they were like, what? You can't leave. You just told us you, we can't do this alone. And now you're going to leave. And he says to them, None of you are asking me where I'm going. All you've heard is that I'm leaving. It's like, you know, Santa's little helper in The Simpsons. It's like, blah, 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 sit. Like, that's the only thing you heard. He said, I'm leaving. And their eyes glazed over and they started to feel afraid because they were like, yeah, we know we can't do this on our own. We need you, Jesus. I mean, think about it. They had seen, I mean, really the last three years of their life uh, with him, their world had been turned upside down. They had actually become to believe, come to believe that this man, Jesus, was the son of God, that they were actually looking at the face of God, that they were starting to have a whole new understanding of who God is. But also, they were starting to have a whole new understanding of what it meant to be human. Like, he wasn't just showing them who God was. He was showing them who they could be, who they were called to be. And they had begun to orient their lives around him and his friendship and following him. And they, he said to them, you can't do this without me. And they're like, yeah, we know. And then he says, but I'm leaving. So they're confused, which is why he says to them, hey, don't worry. It's actually better if I go because I'm going to send someone else. And that someone else, we know actually from this text and others, is the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word that, because these texts were originally recorded, so we have about 5,000 Greek manuscripts that record these conversations that are then translated into English. The Greek word is parakletos, which uh, our various English translations use words like advocate, uh, friend, which is the translation you just heard read, or helper. It was actually Jesus' way of saying, hey, you're not going to be able to do this alone, so I'm sending you someone. I'm leaving, but it's better if I go because I'm sending you someone. Now, they were kind of confused about what that, they knew God's spirit. They knew God had a spirit, um, but they were like, well, what, what, how's this going to work? How's the Holy, how's it going to be better and, and who is the Holy Spirit? And we might actually have that question. You might have that question. You may have heard, either you grew up in, in kind of Christian tradition, or even if you didn't, you heard, oh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Is that like a force or something? How, and how is that even going to help us grow? And the disciples probably had different questions than us around that, but they also had questions. Well, how is this an answer, Jesus? How is this going to help us? How is it better if you leave and this Holy Spirit comes? Now, they didn't have YouTube then, but we do. So we can be helped actually uh, in this process of understanding who the Holy Spirit is. And so um, I want you to, to watch this video because really over the next three weeks, we're going to explore, well, how is it that the Holy Spirit helps us in growing? Like we would be remiss if we stopped the series at this point and didn't actually talk about how the Holy Spirit is key to helping us grow because that's what Jesus' answer was to the disciples. You're not going to be able to do this alone. You need help. You need the Holy Spirit. So the next three weeks, we're going to look at who the Holy Spirit is. It was Jesus' essential promise for how they were going to grow. But I want you to watch this video as we learn a little bit more. The video is from the Bible Project. And if you've never heard of Bible Project, they're amazing. What an amazing gift to the church 
to help put into pictures and words some of the more complex ideas of Scripture, even just to understand what is the whole story about. And so if you've never uh, uh, seen Bible Project, you can look them up on their website or on YouTube. But I want you to watch this articulation of the story of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, right to the point where Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to need help. So let's watch that together. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but what is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. (sighs) So you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, Ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes. And the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. Probably the most important part of Jesus' conversation with his disciples uh, in this, uh, at this dinner table 
and that this video kind of captures for us, the most significant part of the Holy Spirit is that the same Spirit, the Spirit of God that brought all of creation into order, that gave life to our bodies, that, that Spirit of God that was on certain people at certain times for certain things, Jesus says, now is going to come to you and is going to live in each of us. This is the most significant part of the, the turn of events as it relates to the Holy Spirit and what Jesus was beginning to help them understand in this conversation, the key for how they were actually going to grow, that the Holy Spirit was going to come and live in each of them. And this is kind of a significant thing because you might think, well, how, how is that better? Like, how is it better if Jesus goes? He actually says this to him. Hey, you can't do this without me, but I'm leaving. But don't worry, it's better if I go because the Holy Spirit is going to come. And this video actually describes some of that. And Jesus was laying the foundation for the disciples to understand that in this conversation. Saying, look, the Spirit who actually gave life to all of creation, when we begin to follow Jesus, the Spirit actually comes into each of our lives and gives us new life from the inside out. It's not the physical body life that we have already. It is a new spiritual life. It is a life from the inside out that is even more alive, in a sense, than our physical bodies. And whereas, because I don't know if you ever thought this, I've always thought, man, if I could have just been there with the disciples and seen Jesus with my own eyes and touched him with my own hands and actually eaten meals and seen him do miracles, then I would believe. Maybe some of you are skeptical because you're like, well, I didn't see it myself. Or you might think, no, no, I believe, but it, uh, my faith would be way stronger. I could grow more if I was actually with Jesus in person. But Jesus actually said, hey, it's better if I go. And here's why. Because Jesus was with those group of people. But he was with them in one place at one time, because he was a human being, he was in the flesh, locked in one space of time in history and geography and with certain people. And therefore, if he left the room, he wasn't with them anymore. But he says, when the Spirit comes, the Spirit now is in each of us everywhere, wherever we go, in all places, at all times, with everyone who's a follower of Jesus. It's like we are with Jesus all the time, except he is in us. This is the incredible power that Jesus was trying to explain to them. And here's why this matters so much in our quest to grow. Remember last week we talked about, um, kind of borrowing from the language of Robert Clinton, um, two different ways to live. And one is the, is the self-defined uh, way to live. The self-defined way to live begins with competence right? I'm good at this. I'm capable at this. I, I look good at this. I acquire skills at this. That we build our lives based on our competence, what we're able to do, what we're hoping to do, what we're getting better at, what we can do better than other people, what other people see we're good at. And if we are competent or based on that competence, we are then given belonging. Someone says, oh, you're good at this. You can join our team. You made the team. You're good at this. You can be in our club. You're good at this. We can be friends. You can be in our friend group. You got into this school. You can join this company. You can be a part of this community or this church based on competence, on your life, on how you live, on what you're able to do and prove. And based on that, you get belonging. And from that belonging, you get security. But the problem with that way of life is that when our competence is tested, when we go through seasons of feeling incompetent or when we feel like others are demanding from us to prove our competence or someone else comes along and looks more competent than we are or we feel like we're in an environment where we're constantly having to demonstrate that competence, it begins to undermine our sense of belonging, right? Because our belonging is tied to our competence and if we're not competent enough or others are competent, we may lose 
our belonging, which undermines our sense of security and stability. And like I said, like that can lead to pride, right? Or hypocrisy where we're showing good on the outside, but the inside's not good. Or we're boasting or we're continuing to prove our competency. Or guilt and shame where we feel like I'm incompetent. I don't belong. I don't have security anymore. He said that's the self-defined way to live, but the Jesus-defined way to live is different. The Jesus-defined way to live begins with belonging. We are loved. We are chosen. We are adopted into the family of God. We have intimacy with Christ and his family and God. We have relationship before we have done anything competent. We do not prove ourselves to become part of the family of God. We are invited and we are loved. And because of that, on that basis, we have security in our lives. And then we are invited not to perform, but to participate in what Jesus is doing in the world. We talked about that last week, right? That's a totally different way to live. But whether we fail or succeed at that as we participate with him or things go good or things go bad, our belonging and our security are not threatened because they weren't based on our competence. They weren't based on our performance. They weren't based on what we have done. Now, it's clear in a sense which way we'd rather live. But it's the Holy Spirit, friends, that actually helps us live the Jesus-defined way. That's why Jesus says, you can't do this without me. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He will help lead you. That's why he says he'll take you by the hand and lead you. It's the Jesus-defined way that the Holy Spirit actually helps us live. Now you might say, well, how? How does the Spirit actually help us live the Jesus-defined way? Well, here's how. The Holy Spirit is both the presence and the power of God in our lives, the presence and the power of God in our lives. In a sense, it's the Holy Spirit that one of the names given to the Spirit is the inner witness of truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit is your inside preacher. <laughs> he preaches to our hearts to convince us of God's love for us, right? It's the Holy Spirit that convinces us from the inside. It's one thing for somebody else to tell you, oh, you're loved, you're chosen, you're forgiven, you belong to God. It's another thing for you to experience that from the inside out. That's what the Holy Spirit does. From the inside, it convinces, it reminds us we are loved, we are chosen, we belong, we have security and stability, not based on our competence, not based on our failures or our successes, not based on what we look like or how many other people think we're capable or popular or beautiful or, or athletic or whatever, right? It's the Holy Spirit that is the presence of Jesus in us, speaking to us truth, it is the presence of Jesus who, um, in us who is leading us in the right way. It's God's presence in us, actually leading us to follow. But it's also God's power in us that we do not participate with God out of our own strength, out of our own abilities, out of our own capabilities. Yes, we've all been uniquely and beautifully and wonderfully made. But the true power, the sustaining power to actually continue on in following Jesus, continuing on in growth, continuing on in persevering through hard times, that power does not come from our will or our determination. It comes from the Spirit of God. The same power that animates the universe, right? In the sense that brings the world to life is at work in us. The creativity, the, the, the self-control, all of the character elements, all of the, the ability to actually grow comes from the Spirit in us. It is God's presence and God's power. That's how the Spirit helps us live. 
And interestingly, you might think, whoa, is that, does that mean like the Holy Spirit's like a force, you know, like in Star Wars? Or is it like the divine spark from the Transformer comics or, or like the Tesseract, right, from the Marvel movies? Is that what the Holy Spirit is? It's like, no. The, in fact, the, the English translations of the names tell us the Holy Spirit is a person. And that's why Jesus actually referred to him with a personal pronoun. It's like when the Spirit comes, he will lead you. He, he was talking about a person. And think about the English names that, that are used for the Holy Spirit. Advocate, friend, helper. They're all personal. Advocate means like someone who, don't think like law court, think the one who is always in my corner, right? The one who is always advocating for me. The Holy Spirit is never the voice of condemnation, of guilt, of shame, of criticism. The Holy Spirit might correct us and lead us, but he's always in our corner. That's what an advocate is. I am for you, says the Lord. Right? That's the Holy Spirit tells us. God is for you, not against you. That's, one, that's a scripture verse that the Spirit preaches to us as our advocate. But he's also our friend. Our friend who is always with us, who walks with us through everything. A friend who can endure hard times. A friend who can stay with us even when we ignore him. Right? That's the best kind of friend, like someone who is so faithful. But a friend who also isn't afraid to tell us the truth about ourselves. Like not just friends saying, hey, you're good. Everything's fine. We're good. It's like, no, we need friends who will be honest with us and say, I think you're making a bad decision. Psst, you're going the wrong way. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit does as a friend. And then maybe the most incredible name that God could ever give himself, helper, God, the help, right? The one who stoops down below us to lift us up. That's what the scriptures say God describes. It's the name God gave himself as helper. And we know actually this is true because this is exactly who Jesus was when he lived and walked on the earth as a human being. And so the same spirit, it is the spirit of Jesus. The spirit does all of the things that Jesus did while he was on the earth for each of us personally as an advocate who's always in our corner, as a friend who's walking with us and being honest with us and loving us, and a helper who stoops down below to lift us up, to enable us to do the things we could never do on our own or could never sustain on our own. And this is actually the cure for hypocrisy, pride, and shame, right? Guilt and shame. Because we can't be proud because Jesus says in this passage, the Holy Spirit will uh, point you to me. He will make me great. The Holy Spirit doesn't point us to ourselves and say, look at you, look what you did, so we can boast. He points to Jesus so that if people see anything good in us, they see Jesus, not us, not about us. It frees us from pride. The Holy Spirit, those work because it's from the inside out, frees us from hypocrisy, right? Because the Spirit's work isn't just to conform our moral behavior so that we look good in the outside. It is to transform us, not conform us, transform us from the inside out so that our character and who we are on the inside, who we are behind closed doors, who we are at home with our family, who we are when we're on our own, when no one's watching, is becoming pure and clean and good so that whatever outwardly comes out, it is from the inner transformation. It saves us from hypocrisy. But the Spirit also saves us, saves us from guilt and shame because it's not up to us. It's something that God is doing in us. It's not dependent on our willpower, our perfect record, our religious attendance, our religious observance, our morally upstanding behavior. We rise and fall. We succeed and we fail. But the Spirit is faithful to continue to be with us through that. Isn't that beautiful? You know, in my own life, I've seen seen this work, both God's presence through the Holy Spirit and God's power. Uh, you've heard me say this before, but maybe if you haven't, for me, for many years in my life, decades really, I struggled so much with the, uh, being addicted to the approval of other people. 
so tied to what other people thought of me from a very young age, just wanting to fit in. I don't know if that's because I was kind of, you know, second generation, like came from an Indian family or just trying to fit in in a new context or whatever. Um, but I cared so much about what other people think. And that carried on for many years in my life. I was afraid to do things if other people would say and I just tried to fit in or would be very defensive if other people criticized me or if, if my wife, you know, said, pointed out something or someone in the church said, hey, you know, you screwed up or whatever. I would be so defensive, so afraid to admit. Why? Because I was so kind of fragile on the inside. Well, by the grace of God, I can say that the Holy Spirit has, has over time continued to preach to me about how I'm loved and accepted by God. And that sometimes that means I have to make decisions that other people won't like. And that it's okay. I should expect to fail. And God's not expecting me to be perfect. Neither is anyone else. And even if they are, God isn't. So I can accept criticism. I can hear it. I expect I'm going to make a mess. And I'll be open to when other people approach me about that. Friends, I, I didn't take a course to fix that. I believe the Holy Spirit slowly began to witness to my heart to get me to be at peace with the love and grace and forgiveness of God. And that began to transform my life, his presence in me, but also his power. There are things, Jen will tell you, like, I am a better husband today than I used to be. <laughs> there were lots of things that I became aware of as I became a husband that I needed to change and grow that were having an adverse effect on my wife and my kids. And like, yeah, we're, we're, none of us are perfect, but of course I wanted to change and they needed me to change. But like, how do you change, right? The power doesn't come just like I'm trying to be better. I'll take some courses. I'll read some books. Over time, it is the spirit who has given me the ability to do things I never used to be able to do to desire things I never used to desire, and to not desire things I used to desire, to be less wanting to be right in an argument, to be more um, you know, self-controlled but also open-handed, to be more selfless than I used to be. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not the person I used to be. And I can only credit that to the power of the Holy Spirit, God's presence and God's power. And look, the reality is for many of you, Right? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've been doing what we'd call the faith catalyst and you come to church, or you come to youth group or you give and you serve and whatever, but there's still things on your inner life or that you know maybe you're producing pride or hypocrisy or guilt and shame. Friends, you need to learn how to become more dependent, not on yourself, but on the Holy Spirit to access the advocate, the friend, the helper that Jesus says, you cannot do this alone. And I'll be honest, I think this is an area where we need to grow as a church. What does it mean for us as a community of believers, as a community of Jesus followers, to not only encourage one another, but to learn how to do this together to become more dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit in us, to more, become more aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, um, and that we are a community that is actually operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we're seeing demonstrations not of our capability, but of God's power. That we're not just hearing ourselves talk to each other, but the Spirit is speaking to us. The presence of God is with us when we gather. And actually, the next two weeks, we're going to talk about how does that work as a community of faith, as a church, to experience um, the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. But just kind of as we, as we end this particular message, just to encourage you uh, with a line that hopefully gets stuck in your head, you'll get by with a little help from your friend. <laughs> you get, I was going to have the band sing the song, but then there's the part about getting high with your friends. So that's where I'm just leaving that out. We're talking about the friend, the Holy Spirit. You will get by actually with a lot of help from your friend. Jesus says, don't do this alone. I'm sending the friend. I'm sending the helper. So I just ask you, why wouldn't you begin every day asking for help? 
when you wake up in the morning before your feet hit the floor, Holy Spirit, give me words. Give me words to speak to the people I need to interact with that will bring life and grace and mercy and goodness and forgiveness and joy. Holy Spirit, guide my decisions today. Help me do not just what's right or good for me, but really good for others. Help me put others first in my decisions. Help me be selfless today. Help me be wise today. Help me fight temptation today. Holy Spirit, give me power to do the things that I can't do by myself. I've tried to fight this addiction by myself. Give me power. I've tried to like be self-controlled by myself. Give me power. I've tried to produce, you know, the fruit of kindness and goodness and patience and love. Help me. I can't do this by myself. Jesus says, don't. You weren't meant to do this alone. That's why I've sent the advocate, the friend, the helper. In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together, which is really just uh, like a, a, another way of actually taking Jesus, in a sense, into our lives as we eat the bread and drink the cup. It's this, it reenacts this idea that Christ actually is now in us, <laughs> changing us from the inside out through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to have a chance to actually just, I'm just going to pray that we, we would receive more or receive the Holy Spirit for the first time. But before we do that, and if you're uh, at home or you're watching this or wherever, and you can get a, a, a piece of bread or a cracker and some juice or whatever um, to celebrate this, take a moment to do that. And we're going to be led in a song that just says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome. And I know we sing that sometimes as a church, you know, we're welcome. But like, as you sing it, sing it about like, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere of my life, of my heart, of my mind, of my home, of my family. I just invite you to do that and then pre prepare to receive communion together.